if you would like to. You may, you don't have to. And good morning to those who call themselves adults. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, quick announcement. We have, we are tentatively planning a membership information class. If you would like to consider that, get the information on it, uh, two weeks from today, April 22nd, 6 p.m. here at the Fieldhouse. So think about that, and if that uh, date works for you, if it doesn't, we can shift it around a little, um, but that's the direction we're, we're thinking about, and we'll uh, confirm it next Sunday. Well, we are in the book of Acts, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> Acts chapter 3 and verse 25 and 26 will be our main text for today. We're finishing up the third chapter of Acts. So let me just go ahead and read this. I'm going to start in verse 24. Acts chapter 3. And verse 24 reads like this. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him proclaim these days. And you are the sons of those prophets and the covenant God made with the fathers, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And God, verse 26, having raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Well, we've been looking at uh, Acts 2 and 3 these last few weeks. Uh, it is still the week of Pentecost. And Pentecost is that festival that we saw where uh, Jewish people from all over the world would come to Jerusalem. Tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, would attend this festival uh, which celebrated the giving of the law. And of course on this day the new covenant was initiated by the giving of the Spirit, the new law of life. And Peter took opportunity to preach whenever he could. And as they were going into the temple on one particular day, it says that a lame man was sitting at the gate. He'd been there for many years. And God's power came upon them, and Peter and John laid hands on him and healed him. He was so excited, he began to jump up and down and run around and leap for joy. And that caused quite a stir, so a crowd began to gather. And Peter took the opportunity to have to preach another sermon, which he did. And he said to them that it was Jesus that had healed this man, the risen Christ. And that this Jesus had been predicted in the Old Testament. He had been predicted by Moses that he was the Messiah promised by all the prophets. And it's interesting to me, as 
And here in our text we read this morning, he's quoted again, he's quoted all the way back to Genesis in verse 25. He quotes a verse from the book of Genesis chapter 12. Peter knows the Old Testament. What an amazing grasp of Scripture that this man had. And he's a fisherman. He's not a scholar and he's not a rabbi. But, uh, uh, and I, I, I want to pull up, give me those, that list of texts. Here are the texts he draws from. In Acts 2.16, he quotes Joel 2.28. Acts 2.25, he quotes from Psalm 16. In Acts 2.34, he quotes from Psalm 110. In Acts 3.22, he quotes from Deuteronomy 18. Acts 3.24, he refers to Samuel and all the prophets. And in, here in Acts 3.25, he quotes from Genesis 22.18. Peter shows that Christianity is utterly rooted in the Old Testament. Sometimes some, somebody will say to me that Christianity is uh, a Johnny-come-lately in religions, that some of the Chinese religions and Indian India religions, even Judaism, that those are all earlier than Christianity. And I say, absolutely not. Look at these texts. Peter is anxious to show that, that the faith in Jesus Christ, the Christian faith, is absolutely rooted and founded on the Old Testament, that there's nothing earlier than the Christian faith. goes back to Genesis. In other words, we've been here a long time. And he overflows with scriptures about Jesus of Nazareth who was the Messiah that was promised. So Christianity is not a new religion. It's not a strange religion. It is a biblical religion based on Old and New Testaments. And I might add, it is the only true faith. We're going to be talking about that in Acts 4. But what I want us to look at are these two main two verses here in verse 25 and 26 this morning. And if you could pull that, those two passages up once again. Verse 25 says, You're the sons of the prophets and the covenant God made with the fathers, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Three points real quick, and I'm going to give you the points, and I want to come back and touch on them before we have our baptism. But here's point number one from verse 25. God wants to bless every one. Do you see that? God said to Abraham, In your offspring all the families of the earth will be blessed. He wants all the families of the earth to be blessed. Here's point number two. These blessings come through the merits of Jesus Christ. Verse 26. And God having raised up his servant. Talk about Christ. 
sent him to you first to bless you. He sent him, Jesus, to bless you. Blessings come through the risen Christ. That's the channel, that's the means of blessing. And then the third point we'll end with is this. The greatest blessing that comes from the risen Christ is verse 26. He sent him to bless you first by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The greatest blessing is when he turns you from your sin back to God. All right, let's let's revisit these three. The first one, God desires to bless everyone. God desires to bless you, all the families of the earth. I just finished reading through the Bible, and I started again in Genesis. And I put a note because I I noticed in Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the heavens and the earth, and the last of all, he creates man. And you know what the first thing it says that God did for Adam and Eve? God, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. And God blessed them. That's the first thing. It's like he couldn't wait to do anything else. The first thing God does... He blessed them. Even when they disobeyed him, Genesis 3, 17, and were put out of the garden, the curse did not come on Adam and Eve. A lot of people think God cursed Adam, but it says, because you've eaten of the tree I commanded you not to, Genesis 3.17, cursed is the ground because of you. In other words, he made it harder by the sweat of his brow. He must now gain bread. He, he, he made it so that, that life made him look to God and depend on God and come back to God. He didn't curse Adam. God blessed Adam. Soon as the flood washed away all the wickedness and the violence in Genesis chapter 8, it says that God called Noah out of the ark. And here's the first thing it says, Genesis 9-1, and God blessed Noah and his sons. And in, after the scattering of the people of the Tower of Babel, First thing that happens afterwards is Genesis chapter 12. He calls Abraham and it says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. God always follows judgment that he has to bring with blessings that he doesn't have to bring. What does bless mean anyway? And and I don't usually use... uh, Uh, acronyms, but uh, you know those abbreviations created from the first letter of the word. But I I saw one a couple of weeks ago and I thought I like that. And I I just want to present it to you real quick on what it means to be blessed by God. Uh, And you see the acronym. Give me that 
the word bless. To be blessed means, first of all, God wants to bless your body. God wants you healthy. I think he wants you fat. That's, my, just, that's just my opinion on it. I, I, I don't have a verse for it, but... <laughs> no, but let me just say this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but when Jesus went about in the earth, he did not make crippled legs... He did not make withered hands. He did not make deaf people. He did not bring death or kill people. But rather he healed the cripple. He normalized the withered hand. He restored hearing to the deaf. And he brought life and resurrection to the dead. That's Jesus who is the fullness of God, the perfect image of God. That is what God wants to do. What sin has cursed, what, the, what Satan has ruined, what the world has blighted, God wants to bless and heal and restore. Praise God. God is good. And He will bless you. He wants to bless all the families of the earth. Uh, he wants to bless your work, your labor. Psalm thirty-five, twenty-seven. He has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I mean, I know that uh, income is like a spigot that sometimes it's turned down, sometimes it's turned up, and I, I realize there's a rhythm and a uh, and there's a flow uh, that comes and goes. And uh, money is very unreliable. But ultimately, God does not want you scrounging in poverty. I had a guy last night from the other congregation. He, he said, I haven't eaten in three days. My, my kids, I'm so, I, I can't even take care of my kids, so they were taken from me. So impoverished. That is not from God is a God of abundance and emotionally does God want you depressed listen to the fruit of the spirit Galatians 5:22 which is what love joy peace see that's the blessing of his presence and what about your social life God wants us to be connected to people. He wants us in a community of support. He wants us to be, uh, as, as they asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? He said the great commandment is love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Uh, God does not want us to live as an island. And finally, the spirit or the soul. In all of this, this is what it means to be blessed of God. Those areas are full, balanced, abundant, and the blessed person. And you can pray for that. You pray for the will of God to be done in your life, and that's it. Right there. And you trust Him when there's an ebb and flow to it.
So the first thing that I would point out here is, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then verse 26. Here's the second point. And God having raised up his servant, speaking of Jesus, says, sent him to you first, to the Jews first, to bless you. God blesses you through the risen Christ. John 14, 6, no man comes to the Father but through me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. Then I want to go quickly to the third point. And that is that the greatest blessing that you can experience is... In verse 26, he, sent, he raised up his servant, sent him to you to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The greatest blessing you can experience is being turned from your sin. Take, for example, the prodigal son in Luke 15. He's away from the Father, away from the Father's house, away from the Father's provision. And he takes his inheritance and he goes, squanders it, ends up in a pig pen, which for a Jew, that's an abomination. He can't even eat with the pigs. He's so hungry. It suddenly dawns on him one day, there is more than enough in my Father's house. So he goes back to the Father, asks for forgiveness, is embraced, gets new clothes, new shoes on his feet, new, a table of food, and a party ensues with dancing. And the Father says, this is my son who was dead and is now alive. All of the, that acronym I gave you on bless, they're all in that story. The body, labor, emotions, the social life, the spirit, it's all there that God restored. But it was when he came home to the Father. The greatest thing you can do for, to be blessed is to come home to the Father. And that's all in what Jesus is raised up to do. The purpose of the resurrection is to return you to the Father. And I would just point out one thing here that's vital. Look carefully at that last phrase. By turning every one of you. Notice he does not say that he raised up Jesus, his servant, so you could, so you could turn. But rather, he raised up his servant to turn you. That's a big difference. In one is passive. The Greek is a passive voice. The other is active. In other words, it is done to you. It is not what you do. It is something God did and you yielded to it, you worked with it, you received it, but it is something God overwhelmed you with so that He is glorified by it. 
You remember in Luke, or in the First Peter chapter 2, verse 25, this same Peter of Acts 3 is, is writing, and he says, You were as sheep going astray, but ha- are now returned to the shepherded bishop of your souls. You were like sheep going astray, but you, you've been returned. Again, it's a passive voice. He didn't say, you came home, but he says, you've been returned. It's the idea in Luke 15, verse 5. You remember the parable of the prodigal, or the, uh, the lost sheep. And uh, one sheep is out. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one sheep. And what does he do? When he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing that he's found it. You see, this is, this is us. He doesn't just go to the sheep and say to the sheep, you are one bad sheep. Now you follow me home, or I, you can just stay out here for all I care. He doesn't shift the return of the sheep to the strength of the sheep. Can I get an amen? But the strength of the shepherd is what gets that sheep returned to the fold. It is the same way in the Old Testament, reading in Jeremiah some months ago, I read this verse, this is the King James Version, and this is worth pausing and looking just to comment on at least. Ephraim, which is one of the larger tribes of Israel, had been exiled. Jeremiah says, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. Grieving. You have chastised me and I was chastised. As an oxen unaccustomed to the yoke. He says, you turn me and I shall be turned. (laughs) What an amazing. Lord, you turn me and then I'll be turned. That's what Peter's saying here. By turning you. See, he says, turn me and I'll be turned, for you're the Lord my God. And after I was turned, then I repented. And after that, I was instructed. And he goes on to say, and after that, I was ashamed. His feelings finally caught up to his faith. But have you considered that God has turned you? That he has brought you? That his grace was greater than your sin. That his wisdom was greater than your ignorance. That his strength was greater than your weakness. That his victory was greater than your failure. And his life was greater than your death. (laughs) He turned you. He brought you. He saved you. He delivered you. He resurrected you because we cannot turn ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. The problem with 
simply viewing Christianity as a decision is that sin is deeper than the will. The will is bound. Sin is compared to leprosy. It's compared to a plague in the Bible. It's compared to gangrene. It's compared to blindness. It's compared to death. None of these things can be thrown off by decision. These have to be healed and miracles must take place. To, be, to come to God and put faith in Christ means Jesus came to you and blessed you with the greatest blessing by turning you back to God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! How many's been turned back to God? Hallelujah! Come on! trying to decide whether to speak in tongues right now. It's so close. The meaning of baptism. And this is one of the things that John the Baptist introduced. The third party in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, by, uh, Jews in the Old Testament baptized. And, and they still do it today. By immersion. Of adults. Uh, they, uh, it's the mikvah. And you can find a larger Jewish synagogue, like there's one down in Bloomfield Hills, and they'll have a large mikvah. And they, can, they do it uh, as a religious ritual. It's an immersion. But the characteristic of Old Testament baptism is that you baptize yourself. An example is Naaman in 2 Kings 5.14. He had leprosy and he went down and he dipped. Elijah said, go dip yourself seven times in the, in the Jordan. So he went down and what did he do? He dipped himself seven times in the Jordan and his flesh was restored. But now what the New Testament does in baptism and John the Baptist started this and one of the reasons he got such a crowd was he showed that it is God who actually restores you by showing that the, uh, the officiant the, the baptizer represents God himself through Christ bringing you up. Baptism isn't about putting you under. It's about bringing you up. And that only God can do that. You, you cannot resurrect yourself. But Jews today baptize themselves. Christians in the new covenant are baptized by another. That is, they are raised by another. Symbolizing that the power of God is what 
returns you. So today and last Sunday as we baptize, we are symbolizing the bondage of the will and the despair of life trying to help ourselves and the defeat and the death that we have no control over. We must cry out not for help but for deliverance. We're not saying God strengthen my will. We're saying God intervene in my life. (laughs) Amen. So those who will be baptized, if you will make your way over to our privacy area and ushers, would you please prepare to receive the offering? Let's, let's worship with our gifts to God today. Deuteronomy 16, verse 15 and 16. I've been trying to give you some verses on giving. This is not as clear as it needs to be but what he's saying here is that I have made you joyful with the work of your hands I will bless you and all you produce and the work of your hands so you'll be joyful so then you should not appear before the Lord empty handed as if as if everything I, I got I, had, I worked for but he blessed the work of your hands he made you joyful So let's not come to God empty-handed today. But let's conclude our worship in this section by giving to God as He has blessed you. Bow with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You today for turning us by giving us of the greatest blessing known to man. You sent Jesus and raised Jesus that He might turn us from our sins. May it be so in our lives this day and forever. And we now bring to You a portion of all You've given to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship with our giving.